Welcome to One Week, One Year. Uh, it's a podcast where we go through uh, a year of film history each week. And I am your host, Chris Ellie. Uh, I'm a film projectionist and a film fan. Uh, and then I'm joined by your other host. Uh, I am Glenn Covell. I am a filmmaker and film fan. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and I assume that you listened to the first episode, but if you haven't, because you just know that the films of 1896 are so much better than the films of 1895, uh, we're just uh, we're just here to look at all of film history in its proper context and uh, go through the entire historical catalog of film from the beginning until now. Uh, in order. In order. And it's going to take a long time. <laughs> Glenn, would you like to start us off with the news of the year? The news of the year, 1896. Utah becomes the 45th state out of the Union. The X-ray machine is invented. The Klondike Gold Rush begins. La Boheme premieres. The first gay magazine is released in Germany and ran until 1933 until its presses were destroyed by Adolf Hitler. The first modern Olympics begins in Athens. A giant tornado sweeps through St. Louis, causing millions of dollars in damage. Adjusted for inflation. <laughs> Henry Ford builds his first vehicle, the Ford Quadricycle. The first French-speaking Canadian prime minister is elected. The Philippine Revolution begins. And the St. Augustine monster is discovered on the coast of Florida. Originally named Octoctopus Giganteus, it was later discovered to be a gelatinous blob of whale flesh. Thank you, Glenn, for reading us the news. <laughs> a lot of news that year. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of yeah. news every year, and that's why we're doing this. <laughs> the depth, the depth, not the breadth, the depth. Um, <laughs> so, kind of where we left off last week, uh, uh, we were. It was, I mean, right at the end of 1895s when this Lumiere, uh, th- this Lumiere presentation happened in December 1895, or yeah, 1895. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that just kicked off an enormous amount of filmmaking all around the world uh, from the Lumieres and from others. Yeah, it really kind of started started as like a, a bit of a booming business or a booming um, just thing that people were interested in, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I did read up on it and saw that the, the Lumieres started to, to hire and work with a lot more camera operators that they kind of sent, then sent around the world to different different places to, to make mm. more films. It seems like kind of the genesis of the travelogue in that way. Yeah. Uh, I feel like my, my thought watching the Lumiere brothers films from this year was they, they took them out of the backyard and into the streets. Ooh, um, mean streets. <laughs> <laughs> the mean streets of, of Lyon, France and abroad. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I put down a small list of a couple of the actualities that I think mostly Lumiere that I saw from uh, different different places, like uh, there were some on on Broadway in New York City, Venice, uh, London, Mexico, Geneva, and Moscow. Yeah. Uh, so going all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it's like they some of their the people who worked in the Lumiere factory, possibly who were in the, the film we watched last week. Oh yeah, <laughs> of the workers leading the Lumiere factory. Um, there's one guy, uh, Charles Moisson, I think is how his name is said. Mm. Should look it up, but oh well. Um, he was a mechanic at their factory and helped develop the cinematograph, their 
sort of film projector camera uh, lab hybrid. Yeah. Um, and became kind of one of their traveling cameramen. Oh, um, interesting. I don't know there's, there's uh, another guy, um, uh, Jean-Louis Promio, who saw the 1895 show, the exhibition, and kind of joined the team and helped, helped train other cinematograph operators and traveled all over the world. Wow, that's interesting um, because, if, as we'll get to later, it seems that the Lumieres were a little standoffish at that, uh, at that exhibition. All these people trying to buy their cameras and them just for like 10,000 francs or 50,000 francs, <laughs> and they just said no. Yeah. Uh, or wait, how do you say no in French? No. No. <laughs> you really say it the same way, but with a much heavier accent. <laughs> um, yeah, so actualities from around the world, uh, but probably their most famous actuality from this time. Mm. Oh. Which is also, I think, one of the earliest from the year also. Hold on, my dog just walked in. Oh, I thought I closed the door. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, come on. This has to stay in. This is too good to cut out. This is important uh, podcasting. What the listeners want to hear. <sighs> so professional. Can't cut that out. Yeah, I'll cut it out. Oh, I can cut it out. <laughs> Watch me. Um, so they're most famous, right? They're most, they're most famous. Their most famous movie that the Lumieres did, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, uh, for sure. And... Uh, I, I would hazard the most famous uh, film before Trip to the Moon in 1902. Um, Probably, yeah. Yeah, is Arrival of a Train at La Ciotat Station or Glenn. Oh, uh, Mr. Yeah. I thought you looked this up. <laughs> I know, I don't have it in front of me. Hang on. Uh, or Arrivé d'un train à La Ciotat. <laughs> so Arrival of a Train at the Station uh which you have likely seen before uh unlike a lot Classic. of these uh, unlike yeah. a lot of these uh is uh, a stationary camera that is set up at like right along the edge of a train track and you're seeing all these people waiting for the train to arrive and then the train kind of comes in at this diagonal angle along the the screen uh, and then fills up most of the left side of the frame and uh, people get on the train uh, and then the, the film ends it's about 45 seconds long. But uh, this is the movie that you, that has the story that you may have heard, which is probably not true that, uh, that the, the audience at, upon first seeing this uh, thought that the train was going to hit them. And so screamed and ran from the theater. Yeah. Which pretty much everything, every article or blurb that I've read about this film says that that is almost 100% not true. <laughs> um, they're like, no, people weren't that dumb. Like they understood what they understood what they were seeing was sort of light projected onto the screen, and that that's that sort of thing. Even if film, like moving pictures, weren't really uh, a known a known form of entertainment, then yeah that there were magic lantern shows and there were sort of theatrical projections and things like that, that they were probably familiar with. And also I imagine they kind of went to go and see this under the pretense that they were going to see a motion picture. 
and not yeah. a real train that was unless, going to hit Unless them. it was a sort of King Kong situation where they, they didn't know what they were going to see. Is that what happens in King Kong? Uh, that was like mysterious until they open the... I mean, we'll, it's, we'll get to King yeah. Kong. <laughs> we're, not, we're not there yet. Yeah. But uh, it is funny that that is kind of like the thing that it is probably most well-known for is that story, which is probably untrue. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's a, it's a neat... It's a neat little film. Uh, if we're looking at it from the context of a lot of this early cinematography, I think the, the shot is really dynamic. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I think I saw it described somewhere as like, you know, even though it's one single shot with no edits, it, it kind of forms a, a, a wide, a medium, and a close up mm-hmm. in composition as the train gets closer and closer to the screen. Uh, and we, we are seeing more kind of deliberate framing in these yeah it it feels very deliberate that they filmed it that way yeah it's a cool shot yeah um a lot of a lot of their films from from this year were similar to that where they they felt very deliberate and and were just very cool shots yeah um Um, well before we get on to that did you see that like 4k 60 frames per second version of arrival of a train that was floating around on the internet it's, um, it's disgusting and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's cool. Like um I wouldn't I would never describe it as better, but it it's it's an interesting kind of experiment to try to Yeah. Um, I guess I'm being a little too reactionary there, but uh yeah. <laughs> it was it was using these like neural net algorithms to fill in to interpolate, I guess, the extra yeah. frames and to do some kind of like hokey up res to to 4k but uh <laughs> i looked i looked it up at, or, or when, when i was looking in the video i was looking in the comments and uh the guy, the guy who posted it said uh you know i uh, the the uh, all the credit goes to the algorithm makers people like waifu 2x and so and so and that just made me uh go like okay i don't need to take this thing seriously um yeah. I don't know if you saw this this as well, but like there were there were some more kind of Lumiere uh uprezzing modern quote unquote modernization efforts on YouTube that have been happening recently with neural networks. Um there was like a compilation of of all these like baby films that they did they shot, uh just actualities of little babies doing their things. Hmm. And uh it was also it, it had all of those uh neural net algorithms i think it might have used some slightly different ones than arrival of a train did and it it also had like a neural net colorization and it like the colorization was like pulsing because it wasn't actually latching on to real objects and it was almost like sickening to watch actually (laughs) (laughs) uh um oh yeah but speaking of the framing did you read about um how uh they, they were thinking that arrival of a train might have been the, the kind of dynamism of that and some of the early Lumieres uh, came from early experiments with 3D that they were doing. Oh, yeah, I did. I saw something about that. I don't remember. I didn't really read more into it. Well, um, I thought I thought this was really interesting because um, the, you know, if you're if you're making cinema from scratch, right, like what's to stop it from being 3D? Right, maybe the most yeah. natural thing to do 
the, the whole idea of having moving pictures on a screen was so novel. Uh, probably the first idea of what it would be would be 3D. Mm. Um, and so what I read was that they were experimenting with 3D before they even shot any of their stuff. But, you know, at 2D black and white was kind of the most uh, natural way mm -hmm. of going about things. And they, they remade Lumiere, or the Lumieres remade it in 3D like 30, 35 years later, arrival of the train at the station. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's like um, a 3D version floating around somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I got to find that and find yeah. somebody watching it since I don't have a 3D TV. <laughs> I did think it was interesting. I think there's another, there are a lot, there are a lot of other train films that they did. Yeah. Like arrival of a train at different stations. Yeah. That became a whole series. <laughs> and uh, I guess I got one more thing on arrival of a train. Uh, is that considering, you know, how famous and well-known and kind of foundational it is. Uh, it is, I believe the first or one of the first films that has been encoded into dna um wow <laughs> you remember on on important if true they were talking about like uh injecting gifs and computer viruses into into of human course. dna or, or just regular yeah. synthesized dna uh or and that is using dna as like a data storage method yeah so then you can um, be a dna hacker yeah uh Important if true, amazing podcast. I think it's both of our favorite podcasts. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to a different podcast that is no longer releasing new episodes. Sad. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently this movie was encoded into DNA and then later decrypted using a DNA sequencer and put wow. back together again. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, this film was in somebody's blood or their... <laughs> There, I don't. I don't it. think it was in somebody's blood, but it was. It was in a a little piece of cell material in a test tube. But yeah, <laughs> you know that some 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 extremist stole it and injected it into themselves, and then and then became a train. <laughs> exactly, yeah, someone who wants to become a train. <laughs> <sighs> Do you have anything to say about uh, some other Lumiere movies? Um, yeah, there were some, some interesting ones. Um, there was, uh, uh, launch of a ship, I think is the English title. Um, mm -hmm. the French title is, uh, lancement du navire. Uh, I'm probably butchering that, but, uh, <laughs> sue me. Um, which is a wide shot of a, a train being launched off of, uh, a ship wide, being a, launched. Yeah. A ship being launched off of a dry dock and there's a crowd of people in the in the foreground very small at the bottom of the frame and the entire rest of the frame is taken up by this giant ship moving past the camera um until it completely passes by and you see the the city and the, the other crowd of people on either side it's a it's um, a really like monstrous looking ship uh yeah. like the shot is striking in how huge the thing that you're looking at is it really gives a very good sense of scale yeah um, yeah it's just a it's a, a great shot i feel like i would i would love to steal it for something <laughs> um, well this is copyright free so you literally can yeah um but yeah that and that the thing sort of like ties into what we were saying about how the lumiere films are really really being very deliberate about their shot placement and already kind of experimenting with the frame a bit more. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to create really striking, uh, cool looking images. 
Yeah, uh, I saw another one. I don't really, I have no idea how to pronounce this. Archevice Leon, uh, and it, it I, it's unknown. It, apparently, it's who made it or how or whatever is completely unknown. It's just this old film that's from mm-hmm. 1896, uh, and it's fairly unremarkable. But it uh, it's there's like a flooded street, and there's some carriages that are kind of uh, just going through the water. That's maybe like a foot tall or something like that. And there's probably like a hundred people on the sidewalk kind of watching this whole operation happen. Cause in 1896, you didn't have anything more interesting to do. Uh, Watch carriages go through bottles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty not remarked upon uh, film from this time, but I thought that like the color or, or I guess the use of like the black and white um contrast in that one it was like really deep and it was another kind of deep focus sort of dynamic mm-hmm. shot of things coming toward the camera which i guess is my favorite of all of these kinds of things um and that that yeah it's another french one that is just some real uh some real choice uh, yeah. shot composition and yeah and i mean you can you can see like the carriage reflected in the in the water which is yeah which is kind of interesting yeah um another one that uh was a, a lumiere or wasn't shot by the lumiere brothers but was shot by one of their sort of uh one of their cohorts <laughs> one of their minions <laughs> um gabriel v- uh Veyer, i'm guessing um shot in Mexico um, and is uh, Duel au Pistole or Pistol Duel. Um, and it's just uh, sort of a, another deep focus shot of two guys holding up pistols and firing. And then the crowd sort of rushing into the guy who gets shot. Um, initially watching this, I wasn't sure if it was staged or if it was an actual pistol duel. Yeah, same. Know? Yeah. Because it, looks- it was... It, it looks, looks so real. old. <laughs> it does. It lo- it's very convincing. If you would, if I had read that it was real, I would have believed it. Yeah, um, I mean, a step up from the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots, certainly. Uh, yeah. As far as faked deaths on film. Um, yeah. Although it did, it did stick out to me as this is probably the first gunfight on film. Um, mm. Mm. Or the first, the first, like guns on film, which seems significant since i feel like film and and uh and guns are kind of kind of linked it's one of those things along with horses and trains that have kind of always seemed to have been subjects of film yeah you know like i was looking at a lot of the subject matter of of these films that we have been watching and this is you know this is something that has been kind of remarked upon before but it's it's interesting seeing that uh, violence and sex are things that are baked into the founding of cinema, you know? I mean, naturally, those are the two things that people want to see. Right, yeah, I guess that's I mean, true. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're two things that you typically don't just see out in the world walking around. So you go uh, to a picture house or look into exactly. a little cubby. They're very, um, I don't know, they're very kind of like, they're sensational. There's yeah, something, yeah. Exactly. Uh, another one that was not shot by the Lumiere's, but by uh, one of their cameramen, um, is a Panorama of the Grand Canal, Venice, which I think 
um, is the first moving, like moving shot where the camera is. Moving. Yeah, it's uh, a dolly, than, but on a boat. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just camera stuck on a boat going down a canal in Venice. But it um, it just seems significant because it's like it's the first time that the camera is actually moving. Yeah, it's cool to see Venice back in that day. Um, it's it. I mean, it's something that looks. I don't know. It seems like it looks pretty different now. So watching a lot of mm. these uh, Lumiere actualities that have been shot all around the world, it was interesting to me how so many people are wearing the same kinds of clothes. You know, these aren't people that are being put in front of a camera uh, mm -hmm. to wear a uniform. Like it's just everybody had the same kinds of clothes that they wore back in 1896. Uh, but it was like slightly different of the same kinds of clothes in Moscow or Mexico or New York yeah. city. Uh, so just, yeah, seeing, seeing these old societies was very neat, <laughs> including Venice. They're, they're definitely kind of cool little snapshots into the past and into different, different parts of the world at, at this time also. Yeah. I don't think it's that about it. Cover it for the, the Lumiere stuff. Um, oh, there's demolition of a wall. Which is some early, which some early effects kind of yeah uh, it's some lumiere workers knocking down the wall of a uh of a partially destroyed building and they're just hacking away at it with uh with pickaxes and trying to push it over and then the wall they they reverse the film and the wall just puts itself back together and goes back up which is the first time that's ever been done and Lumiere is playing with some kind of funky camera effects for the first time. Yeah, it it doesn't really seem like they did did that for any particular reason other than to kind of because they could. Mm -hmm. um, I think they were just like, neat, check it out. <laughs> you made it, you made <laughs> it go back. But yeah, I mean, speaking of people advancing the uh, cinema. <laughs> the, the <laughs> ah, segue. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, speaking of people advancing cinema effects and and the camera as as an art form, mm. we can move on to George Méliès. Yes, uh, who famous George Méliès, who's the real MVP of 1896. Oh, for sure. And we but definitely buried the lead by. <laughs> <laughs> by talking about him later in the podcast. Yeah. Oh no, this is this is where all the good stuff is. Yeah. For sure. Um George Melies is probably best known for directing uh A Trip to the Moon, mm -hmm. which doesn't seven come years out. later. Yeah. Um but he started as a uh, magician, if you couldn't tell by any of his films. <laughs> um and it, it it I do think that really kind of informs his outlook on film and sort of like the way he viewed it as kind of an extension of of uh of being a magician yeah i mean he being, invented doing tricks movie and magic. Illusions. yeah pretty uh, much uh he he took he took so much of a different approach than everyone that we have seen here mm -hmm. uh he's he's inventing new funky effects He's like stopping the camera and swapping things out and making it seem like things just pop into existence. He's he's augmenting his magic with with film, which I think was is really cool. Yeah. Um, and he was actually he was also at that Lumiere premiere in December and offered them ten thousand francs for a, a 
cinematograph and they turned him down. And so he uh, bought a camera from someone else and modified <laughs> it. Or he bought a projector from someone else and then modified it into right. a camera. Yeah. Which is wild. <laughs> um, well, yeah, because in, in addition to being a magician, he's kind of an inventor. Mm. Um, which uh, definitely lends itself to, to filmmaking. Yeah. Um, especially when no one will sell you a camera. Uh, yeah. And in just that year after he, I think he got the camera built in, in March or something like that of 1896. And for the, in the remainder of 1896, he shot 80 films, uh, just right. like by himself, which is wild. <laughs> Most of which I think are lost. Yeah. Most only of which don't exist anymore. Only seven of those still exist right now. I think we watched all seven of them. Yes. Um, and it is, it is pretty wild to see how, what an arc they take sort of how different the the ones at the end of the year are from the beginning of the year yeah yeah like um, i mean i guess that that frantic pace of 80 films in one year <laughs> he's he's working out a lot of the kinks a lot faster than some of these other people did yeah and, and he is coming up with amazing ways of of using the camera by the end of the year um yeah i mean the the early ones are pretty much uh are very similar to, if not outright, outright remakes of Lumiere Brothers actualities. Yeah. Um, they're just sort of, uh, you know, garden scenes and men playing cards. Yeah. Okay. Um, he had a playing cards one that was a direct remake of one of the 10 Lumiere shorts. And then he, he did a remake of The Sprinkler Sprinkled, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I second... feel like he... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go on. Um, I was going to say, it, it, I'm projecting here, but it feels like he saw... The, no, that's my job. <laughs> uh, I get the sense that George Melies saw the, um, the Mary Queen of Scots film and the jump cut in that mm. um, and was just blown away by it and immediately just wanted... Not, only wanted to do things with jump cuts. It was just like, that is the coolest thing in the world. I yeah. just want to stop the camera and swap stuff out. Um, and he, he did some great stuff with it, especially which is um, kind of. It's kind of a magic trick when he first starts doing it. I mean, it's like I think the first one that I found that had a an effect in it um, was, I believe, it is. What is it called? The Vanishing Lady. The Vanishing Lady, not to be confused with the Lady Vanishes. Um, that's already his 70th movie, uh, which he could have done something earlier, but we just didn't, we just don't know about right. it. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's, there's a bunch in The Vanishing Lady. So um, Vanishing Lady is sort of a, sort of like a, um, just a, a film of a typical magician stage act of putting the person behind a blanket, having them disappear, and then taking the blanket away. Um, which uh, on stage would be done through chapdoors or through all different sort of physical effects. But the way old George does it here is he simply turns the camera off, has them walk out and then turns it back on. Um, <laughs> while he's, while he's des- de- like frozen in place with his hands in the air, yeah. uh, holding a cloth. Um, yeah. But just that is not, is not good enough for George Melies because as any good magician knows, you need the, the prestige. You can't just make something disappear. I can bring it back. Um, which he does. <laughs> I haven't uh, seen that movie. Oh man, you gotta gotta check it out. I think I've that heard takes, it's good. That takes yeah. place around this same time too. Oh neat. 
Um, so you could do it as research. <laughs> um, but then uh, instead of bringing the lady back, he has a skeleton up here on the bench, which is uh, great fun. Yeah. Uh, more also macabre i think his movies are quite macabre they, um, they are he loves skeletons he loves skeletons he loves devils yeah <laughs> he loves just like very kind of classical halloween imagery yeah. <laughs> um he loves spooky cobwebs and bats and skeletons yeah Halloween um, at the forefront of film technology and <laughs> and narrative advancement in in the yeah. medium. <laughs> um, and so from from there, he just kind of starts going going ham on him. Like every yeah. film has more and more effects in them, and more uh, different ways of of incorporating not just things disappearing or reappearing, but sort of teleporting or uh, or changing into changing one actor into a different actor um kind of culminating i guess in his 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 great uh end of the year showstopper yeah which i think we would both probably put as our number one film of 1896 sorry to arrival to of the train yeah i mean i think i even put it above sprinkler sprinkle this is by my favorite oh yeah oh no absolutely in the two weeks that we've done this (laughs) um this is the one to beat uh it's definitely the longest yeah it's it's three three minutes it's three minutes it's extremely long for one of these and i think his all the films in his catalog are numbered um and this one takes up three numbers. So I'm assuming that the numbers actually reference maybe roles of film or, because mm. uh, I think the reason why they were all, all these films of this time were under one minute was like, that was the amount of film that could be put in the camera probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so this one is, let's see, it's listed as 78 to 80 in his catalog, three minutes long, just, special effects every every moment just an, an extravaganza yeah yeah i don't and, even know how to begin describing this one <laughs> there's, too mu- there's too much to say you just it's have, definitely have like the most the most plot heavy movie that has probably existed up until this point um yes there's um, there's I, more I happening in this than pretty much any yeah. other film we've seen um it is so it's still a static shot, uh, but it is a the in, the, like the interior of a spooky castle. Um, yeah, a, a pretty a pretty obvious set, but in a um, in a way that it doesn't really seem like he's trying to fool anybody. Like it's very theatrical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does look like a stage background. Um, um, a big cauldron appears, which is just a cutout of a big cauldron. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing at on wood. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, there's, so. there's stuff that happens. It's like there, there is an arc to it, but basically it's three minutes of this devil character. <laughs> uh, wait, did we say the name of the movie? The movie is house of the devil, uh, AKA oh, yeah. the haunted castle in, the haunted in castle is the, the much more boring, uh, yeah. I wonder um, if it was changed in America because they're afraid of devil stuff. Very possible. Would not surprise me. Um, um, the original French title is, of course, Le Manoir du Diable. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<sighs> and uh yeah then this uh, so so it's this devil character who is kind of occupying this castle he transforms into a bat and back again and this was a year before was, people say this is a vamp it's kind of contentious on whether this is the first vampire film because uh dracula bram stoker's dracula came out a year later i feel um, like he's not explicitly a vampire he can i don't think so that yeah and is, is dressed in a sort of traditional vampire garb although i feel like it didn't actually become traditional vampire garb until after this film probably so. not yeah uh I, it's just lots of general spooky stuff which yeah I, ghosts I, goblins pitchforks yeah, cauldrons and smoke. uh yeah uh witches maybe yeah um, well, the reason we're describing the movie like this is because there's like <laughs> there's not like a sp- a specific thing that happens it's like these these invaders kind of come into the castle and this devil character is playing tricks on them and trying to like scare them away basically with all of these conjurations and and demonic imagery uh that he is he is uh summoning before them uh and so it's just kind of an, ex- an effects extravaganza yeah um it really it it does like um it it does kind of feel like the equivalent of a of a big you know effects driven blockbuster kind of movie from <laughs> from from the now times this is the equivalent in 1996 um and it it's very entertaining i was very entertained by it yeah it's fun there's, there's a bit where the gu- one of the in, sort of invading fellas uh goes to sit down on a chair and a skeleton appears on the chair and frightens him <laughs> <laughs> um which yeah, is there's a cool great, like there's a cool gag. like invisibility cloak kind of uh, uh effect um there's uh uh like a, the way that a lot of i want to say spawn in like a video game term <laughs> but like a lot of uh, the way that a lot of these monsters kind of appear in frame is through these puffs of smoke that hide the transition from yeah. uh, one jump cut to the next which i think is really cool yeah, it does a, a a good job of it too. Like they don't, not all of them immediately read as jump cuts. Like the camera doesn't move. The, yeah. the actors don't really shift much. It's uh, it's fairly seamless. Um, yeah. By this point, he definitely knew what he was doing. Um. And yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else to say about this? It's really cool. It's really good. I just feel like there's there's too um, much to say about. Yeah, it. I mean, definitely watch it. It's all of these films we've been talking about are free on YouTube. Yeah. Like, I think I should make like a playlist of all of the ones that we talk um, about. Yeah. Or like have links to it in the, in the show notes description or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he did, I think a couple others in 1896 after the Honda castle, or at least on he the did, list I was looking at, they were two. listed later. Yeah. I think he did two or three more. There's um, uh, the, the terrible night, I think. Is yeah. the one immediately after, which is less impressive, but is is again a sort of like spooky. Oh no! A, t- a terrible night is the uh, the twenty sixth one. The eighty second one is a nightmare. If that's okay. what you're talking about, yeah. um, that I think that is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, and it is it is pretty. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of more of the same, but a little bit less extravagant than 
Uh, yeah, it's only one minute long, and it's just a shot of a guy in his bed who and, and, and it's and who's having a nightmare, and then it makes all of his nightmare visions appear in front of him. Yeah, uh, including which, a moon with a big face on it. Which... The moon is really cool looking. It's this giant, like f- freaky looking moon uh, that just kind of like gnashes its teeth above his head. <laughs> it's yeah. made out of like cardboard or something like that. I, I do love to see that George Melies has has always loved having like spooky moons in his movies. <laughs> like <laughs> a, moon, a moon with a face on it is like it does yes. actually make me curious if that was a just a more common image. In, yeah, yeah, that was something that I thought. That was something I thought about a lot of his kind of macabre stuff that we saw, like House of the Devil, is that especially because vampires hadn't been established as a with a visual language yet Mm. um but i mean visual language wise uh a lot of the horror iconography that we still associate with halloween and just spooky stuff i was kind of impressed to see how much how consistent that's been through time you know yeah we didn't have so much um mass media quote unquote that depicted stuff anything i mean i guess ghosts, pictures, ghosts and yeah. goblins yeah and so it, it's interesting to see how the idea of these spooky things has stayed per, pretty consistent through the last 130 years or whatever yeah it's because they're real <laughs> bram stoker I believe, was I, just i believe in ghosts that are just a person wearing a, a sheet um <laughs> And skeletons that appear on your chair. Another thing which uh, about a nightmare, which uh, is a little less savory, is that like one of the horrific visions that he has is somebody in blackface, which uh, yes. is very of the era. It might be the first blackface that appears. Uh, I, was, I was trying to figure that out. Like, I, I imagine Edison would have done that at some point or <laughs> or because that just seems very him you know not even on film just doing it with, <laughs> with we, we find out that like uh like many a senator uh one of <laughs> one of the earliest edison photos is just a picture of him at a college party in blackface <laughs> you know because of, of all the college parties that edison went to um yeah, it is. It is definitely uh, a reminder of um, of the times. Yeah, um, it's, it's not great, but I mean, it goes it goes by pretty quick, and that, that's why I mentioned Edison was because you know all of this stuff was in the vaudeville tradition, and that's where blackface came from. Yeah, um, it it might not. It's probably not enough to like completely. I don't know. It it, it might be enough to avoid this one. I mean, a nightmare isn't that impressive compared to a lot of the other Melier stuff from this year. Um, so if you're looking for one to skip, this is probably a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, similar to that subject, um, I was looking at an Edison film from this year called A Morning Bath, uh, which is... Uh, it's an actuality that Edison made uh, that is just a a black woman who is bathing her son in a tub. Um, and uh, one of my favorite film critics, uh, Ignati Vishnevetsky, uh, wrote a, a review on Letterboxd that I thought was interesting about this. Um, he said, 
on its own, a sweet, totally innocent image, a woman laughing, laughing as her toddler balls in a washtub. But one of the interesting things about the early actuality era is how quickly it produced and codified genres. Within a year of the introducing of movie going, there were train movies, fire brigade movies, serpentine dance movies, juggling act movies, and, well, movies about black children getting bathed. These were marketed as gag films, very funny and especially pleasing to children, goes one typical catalog description. A Morning Bath was the Edison Company's entry. Its competitors released such films, such titles as A Colored Boy's Morning Bath and The Pickaninny's Bath and Whitewashing a Colored Baby. And he said, a lot to unpack there, as they say. (laughs) Um, So... I mean, this is the I, this is the kind of thing that I guess comes with the territory of of uh, watching these old things. Is that we kind of have to grapple with the old politics of them. Uh, you know, we're going to get to the jazz singer, and that's all about blackface, isn't it? <laughs> Before we get there, we're going to get to some some real doozies. Oh um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to how watching. Could I, how could I forget some of them? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll get there. We'll have yeah. to, we'll have to unpack more of that once <laughs> once we get. That's not till nineteen oh five or something. Yeah, um, nineteen fifteen. If that's the one that you're that you're thinking okay. of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about on on these films? Um, I do think I hadn't thought about genres quite like that before. Um. I think it's funny that he points out uh, serpentine dance movies because there are a lot of those. Yeah, uh, they all kind of, it's hard to tell the difference between all of them. But uh, everybody, yeah. it, it, the, the remakes were a big thing at this time. Um, uh, everybody was remaking each other's films and remaking their own films multiple times in a year. I think actually two of those versions of workers leaving a Lumiere factory were shot in 1896. Uh, they were Uh, people. Yeah. So, uh, there was, it seemed like there was no sense of like, I own this film idea. It's like, everybody's just making their own versions of each other's films. Yeah. It it almost kind of feels a bit more like, uh, paintings or photographs. Like they, they tend to get copied and sort of repurposed. And, uh, I mean, like there are, thousand renaissance paintings that are almost the same they're just different painters sort of changing faces or color palettes or things hmm. um and it seems like that that is kind of the attitude with these early films they're just sort of like oh a train coming into a station let's do let's do one of those <laughs> we gotta get those train movies yeah people are reading up those train movies um and uh it is it also is interesting that i feel like a, a common complaint that critics make every year is that the only thing coming at are remakes or sequels and that <laughs> literally goes back to the birth of film yeah like, it is nothing but remakes and sequels maybe maybe less so sequels but um, yeah a lot of these things were viewed pretty individually and so there wasn't any kind of uh uh you know you couldn't trust that one person was going to watch the next movie in a series or something like that I yeah. get the impression that they were also somewhat hard to access. Um, you know, there weren't there weren't movie theaters everywhere. This was the year that movie theaters were beginning to be built. Uh, in the U.S., they were called Vitascope Halls and Edisonia Halls. Uh, but uh, 
I, I can't imagine they were very commonplace yet. Vitoscope mm. hole seems, I don't know, something about that sounds clinical and creepy to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, I, so, it sounds like, like a, an old-timey dentist dentistry office else. yeah it could be like something from bioshock or something like that yeah that that also that, that seems right <laughs> um and i guess um, there's there's something a little i guess one, one other thing we could talk about is the sort of unsavory element that uh was considered about a lot of these films um there was the kiss which oh, is yeah. which is an edison film uh um Although, yeah, I mean, it was sort of Edison produced, but it was directed by William Hesey. Uh, uh, Hesey. Hmm. I mean, I'm yes. not entirely really sure how to has. It's probably has. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's pretty significant. It's the first kiss on film, which is it's been a lot of those since. Um, and it so, and then it could then kind of be inferred that it's the first romance. Yeah, and uh, apparently it was pretty edgy for the time. I was reading, it's uh, uh, public kissing was greatly frowned upon by Victorian society. And so like people were not too pleased about this. That's what I was saying is like, you know, it's, it's odd that Edison is sort of at the forefront of scientific achievement and at the time, but was also like just this showman huckster who uh, was interested in circus sideshows and things that society didn't really want you to see. Um, The WKL Dixon who uh, worked with Edison in the beginning and at this point had left the Edison company uh, created the American Mutoscope and Biograph Company Um, and Mutoscope's it, so the thing that I was talking about last week, uh, the, the hand crank thing with the uh, pictures that flopped by instead of uh, mm-hmm. the, the kind of film strip, that I think was a mutoscope that I was talking about. Um, and so it's, it's a, a, a cheaper version, a, a cheaper kind of film object that you could look at. There was still a podium that you looked into. And apparently it was pretty common for mutoscopes to have... Uh, like basically like porn films inside them (laughs) (laughs) or just like sequences of images in that, to that uh, extent. Um, Well, 1896 is also the premiere of uh, Le Coucher de la Marie, which uh, is the first horny film or (laughs) um, is according to Wikipedia anyway, the first erotic film, Mm. Um, which Seems like a bit of a stretch watching it now. Um, like I can, I can understand why it would be this sort of like cheeky uh, sort of thing um, in 1896. But it's, I mean, it's it's a woman just taking off about 25 layers of clothing, and then by the end of it, it's still fully clothed. Um, <laughs> but by but Victorian standards, in Victorian times, that was like, oof, boy. Steam up the screen. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I read a, um, this was talking about mutoscopes in particular, but uh, a, a San Francisco Call quote, a uh, newspaper that was uh, talking about 
the mutoscopes and similar similar things like that. A new instrument has been placed in the hands of the vicious for the corruption of youth. These vicious exhibitions are displayed in San Francisco with an effrontery that is as audacious as it is shameless. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, words. And then in 1899, there was another paper in England that's, that uh, was talking about vicious demoralizing picture shows in the penny and the slot machines. It's hardly possible to exaggerate the corruption of the youth that comes from exhibiting under a strong light nude female figures represented as living and moving, going into and out of baths, sitting as artist models, etc. Dancing so, serpentinely. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. it's interesting that this stuff was uh, being ostracized in that way already. Yeah, just a, another sort of aspect that is so associated with film, sort of like people being outraged by it and sort of seeing it as kind of uh, as dangerous or sort of corrupting of the youth. Mm. Um, it's like it right away that happened. Like, yeah, I mean, right, any from, new right from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, same thing with, you know, video games in the 80s and 90s and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, comic, comic books. books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all the cool stuff <laughs> immediately gets thrown into the bus. Um, oh, uh, this year, 1896, was also the, um, the premiere of, uh, what is it, the, the Cabbage Baby? Oh, yeah. Lest we, um, man, uh, just, just like... Uh, <laughs> just like most of the film world uh forgetting about uh <laughs> oops <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. um yeah 1896 was the the premiere of uh the fairy of the cabbages mm -hmm. which is now a lost film but is significant in that it is the first known film to be directed by a woman yeah and apparently she was the only woman directing films for the next decade uh, yeah. Until 1906, Alice Guy Blanche. Yeah, Blanche. Um, and a, a, another version of that movie was available. It is available online because, like, <laughs> like the time she yeah. shot two remakes of her own movie in 1900 <laughs> and 1902. <laughs> yeah, couldn't get it. Couldn't get it any better. <laughs> um, and I. I as far as I can tell, the 1900 one, which is the one that I watched, differs, I mean, somewhat significantly from the original. Yeah. Um, which is too bad. But the um, Yeah, the main idea of it is a, a fairy that's plucking newborn babies out of cabbages, uh, as in a cabbage patch kid kind of, kind of sense. Yeah. I did not realize that children and cabbage were... We're so inexorably linked this early. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's some kind of kind of historical legend thing or whatever that baby mm. girls come out of roses and baby boys come out of cabbages. Um, okay. And so that's what this movie was <laughs> depicting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the 1900 one is is cool. It's very like uh, it is very kind of theatrical, but it it has mm, uh, yeah, it has a cool look to it. Mm. Um, what other like uh, there was another boxing kangaroo movie. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, the most of the like si significant stuff I feel like we've talked about. I don't know if there's yeah. any like, other cool things 
that either of us saw. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Um, all right, so I guess teaser for next week. There's going to be more movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I wanted to uh, put um, a couple quick notes at the end. Uh, is that um, I was talking about Edison's film studio uh, that he made in New Jersey last week, and mm-hmm. it is... Then it is called Black Maria is the name of the uh, film studio. Is it Maria Um, or Mariah? As in like the... I don't know. It's spelled like Maria. I think it might be pronounced Maria, but I I could be wrong on that. Huh. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, it was a purpose-built studio, it, the, the very first one, and that black background was this tar paper that he had around the, um, the walls uh, to just form a simple background, and, and it had a retractable roof, which you might have mentioned. Um, mm. Yeah. And then also, last week I said, I said in response, in a joking fashion, don't fact-check me, but <laughs> do fact-check me, because the whole point of this is to learn. Ah, uh, yes. Quick fact check on my part. I'm pretty sure last week that I said that the Museum of the Moving Image was in Brooklyn. It is in Queens. And I should know <laughs> I that. I forgot to say that, yeah. Um, so I am, I am ashamed and appalled, but I'm now taking the time to... Turn in your podcasting card. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had it for such a short amount of time. Uh, I'll, I'll, get a, I'll get a new co-host next week. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's it for 1896. On to 1897. Tune in next week. Same time, same place. Yeah. And if you all have any more recommendations, feel free to message us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I still haven't figured out any, you know, kind of email address or whatever. Uh, but we got like Twitters and stuff that I haven't done anything with yet. <laughs> eh, eh, we'll see. Tweet, tweeted us. Tweeted us at, uh, at one week, one year. All spelled out uh, with the with the non numerals. I'm sure letters. we will not live to regret that uh, that statement. <laughs> maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should get both versions if possible. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. I have this Kino, um, oh my gosh, I just knocked over my dang Red Bull. Oh no!